Hello, welcome to Raise the Bar, the Sky High and Fly Jump Camps podcast. We are here to talk about jumping, uh, high jumping, long jumping, triple jumping, even some pole vaulting, uh, training, talking with coaches. And uh, I am your host, Troy Haynes, and I am uh, honored today to have with us Kendall Gustafson, from, uh, formerly from UCLA. She is now coaching in Texas, and she is going to tell us everything and everything that she's been doing. So um, I have not met Kendall before. We've talked on Instagram. Um, I saw her, her page. And once I found out that she was a former Bruin and a heptathlete who made it to the US Olympic trials, I was more than happy to uh, reach out to her. And she graciously responded. So we're gonna let her into the waiting room right now and, and get going here. All right, and there she is. Turn up my volume. Still can't hear you, Kendall. Hello, hello. There you are. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I just uh, gave everybody the send up here on the podcast. I uh, told them that you were a Bruin and that you were um, a uh, heptathlete who made it to the U.S. Olympic trials. Um, which goes along well. My, my latest series has been either former Olympians, um, uh, U.S. only so far. I got Doug Nordquist, one of the first podcasts, and then uh, his buddy Leo Williams, who was on the 84 team before okay. you were born. And then um, we've been talking with a lot of people that have been to the U.S. Olympic trials, uh, males and females, and some from Canada. Um, one of the girls that I trained, Gauss, my wife keeps telling me, call them women. Um, she... Um, she just jumped uh, six, one and a half and is now the number one jumper in Canada. And she went to the trials uh, 2021. Yeah. And then uh, Paul Gustafson. So we've got Canadians, we've got Americans, and then you fit right in with that. Um, so tell me, tell me more, Kendall. I saw your, your um, obviously we saw you on Instagram first and was impressed with the work you're doing there. Um, Tell us about, you know, going to UCLA first and, and kind of how you ended up in Texas of all places. I know. <laughs> I've been all over the place at this point. So I, I grew up a true Bruin, I'll say. Both of my parents went to UCLA. Mm -hmm. Actually, both my grandparents on my paternal side also went to UCLA. Go so Bruins. It's, it's in my blood. <laughs> uh, right. I, grew up, I grew up going to the, the dual meets and all of that good stuff. I my, I grew up eight, nine miles from UCLA. So it was, it was home. Now, interestingly enough, um, out of high school, I was never recruited by UCLA. Mm -hmm. And initially I went to Duke. So I decided to pick up everything, move all the way across the country and, and end up in North Carolina. Um, and I was there for two years and it just wasn't for me. I missed home. I wanted to be back in sunny Southern California. Right. Um, so I picked up, moved everything back all the way across the country, um, ended up at UCLA. And by that time, it was a new coaching staff from, from when I was in high school. Um, right. And uh, they welcomed me with open arms. And I would say transferring to UCLA was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Right. Yeah. So it was, oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. I just said it was, it was, I don't know. I, out of high school, I think maybe the fact that it was so close to home wasn't as enticing for me. Right. Whereas 
after being so far away coming back I was like oh why did I need to go anywhere this is the best place I possibly right. could have been so um you know it all is well that ends well right so when you where did you go to to high school out here in California I went to Palisades Charter High School okay right there, right there in the Pacific Palisades um so I didn't actually live in the Palisades I I grew up I lived in Mar Vista okay um, so not too far either, but my, uh, my grandparents lived in the Palisades and I, uh, spent a long, you know, I spent a lot of time there when I was, when I was younger. Now, were you, uh, just high school or just high school, just in high school, were you just track and field or did you do volleyball, basketball, anything else? I played volleyball my freshman year of high school. Um, mostly because my sister was on the team. My sister was a senior in high school when I was a freshman. Um, and she was primarily a volleyball player. Uh, she actually played volleyball in college at Denison University in Ohio. Um, but I wanted to just be on the team with her and kind of enjoyed it. And but after my after my freshman year, I I decided to kind of just go solely to track and field. Um, at this point, I was I was doing the heptathlon already in high school. Okay. Um, and doing seven events took a little bit more than uh just you know right. one or two and so it it was helpful for me to have the fall to kind of train some of the other events as opposed to just playing playing volleyball and then hopping in, right. in the spring now how did how did that happen for for many people <clears throat> i think it takes a maybe a junior olympics background but did you i mean how did you get pulled into the heptathlon a lot of people don't even know what that is you know they start doing track in high school they don't even you say heptathlon they're like what's that Truly, um, I want to say, so the first event that I started in track was long jump, actually. I think I went and entered a YMCA right. track meet, right? <clears throat> and, um, and I loved it. I loved everything about it. Um, I just, I, and it was the common theme across all the other sports. I played everything growing up. And the common theme was that I was fast and I was strong and, you know, and so a lot of people kind of pushed me in the direction of track and field. Um, and I kind of, honestly, I'm not even sure how it really happened, but as I was spent more time in track, I just wanted to try another event and try another event and try another event. And I loved all of them and I didn't want to choose. And then I think there was some point when someone said, hey, you know, there's one event where you can do all of them, right? <laughs> and I was like, well, that sounds like it's the one for me. Um, I got lucky enough. I found a coach in high school who had a, a little bit of a background in, in all of them, um, yeah. and in the multis and, and, uh, it allowed me to at least get a little bit of exposure, you know, to some of the stranger ones like javelin, right? right. You can't even throw javelin in high school in California. Yeah, in California. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many, uh, grass fields I've been kicked out of. Right. With, uh, yeah. My dad and I with, uh, jump fences with my javelin and try to go and find places to throw and that was the most difficult one in california for sure yeah yeah i get it um so you you were competing in those now you, there's no there are heptathlon competitions in high school but they're like the big ones right like you have to go um like nike international right or something like that yeah um, i mean i think i would do like youth nationals and then junior olympics and stuff like that and then um, my senior year of high school, I went to junior nationals, which is now the U20 meet. Um, and it was there where I made my first U.S. team. Uh, I finished second there 
um, and and I went to Columbia for the Pan American Games. Wow, that must yes. have been exciting. It was very fun. It was yeah. very fun. Awesome. Wow, that's uh, some rarefied air there. So you did that coming straight out. Of, that was still in high school. You made that. Yeah, so that was after my senior year of high school. How cool um, is that? Yeah, I went to. I actually missed my first week of college uh, because I was in Colombia competing. Tough sacrifice uh, there, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, that was a crazy time. I spent the summer training, ended up in Colombia, competed there, and then, and then flew straight from Colombia to North Carolina to go to Duke. Yeah. I had to do this weird packing situation where I was packing for Pan American Games and then also college. Right, right. Same time. Okay, so now jumping to Duke, my, the first question that popped in my head, you got two um, you've been to two of the universities that have the perennial basketball powers in the nation. So what is, what is it like in Carolina when it comes to basketball, like going, going to games, I'm sure you've been to some on both campuses. So. Yeah. Um, there's a reason they call them the Cameron crazies because it's, it's crazy uh, in a Cameron indoor. It's, it's a really fun atmosphere and the tenting that they do. I don't know if you've heard about that before all no. the games. They basically, they have to, the students to go in specifically to the Duke versus North Carolina games, they tent for about six weeks before the games. Wow. People have to be in their tent. It's like groups of six or something like that. And there has to be at least two people in the tent at all times. And they come and check on them regularly and make sure there's somebody there. It's, it, it looks like a homeless encampment. It's not scary. <laughs> um, it's, it was really gross, but it was insane what these people would do to get into a basketball game. Um, but it was absolutely electric when you're in there. It was so much fun. Yeah. And there's a reason they haven't changed that stadium or made it bigger or anything like that. Right. It's really special the way it is. So um, UCLA fans are a little bit more laid back? A little bit. I mean, <laughs> just in general, that's how, how we do things in LA, a little more chill. Yeah. But yeah. uh, Polly was I mean, is is also so fun. I've been into some really fun games there. Mm -hmm. Couple buzzer beaters, stadium full. It was, I mean, it's it was very fun to to go to the basketball games. And especially, I mean, I haven't, I probably haven't been to a basketball game at UCLA since I was a student there. Mm -hmm. um, so 2017 or so. But but recently I've enjoyed, you know, following along as as well because they've been they've obviously been doing well lately. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so then four years of high school, then you went off to Duke, came back and started up again. Now you're, was that difficult? I know you said it was difficult being on the East Coast and everything. What is it, was everything indoors? Like you'd expect for a good part of the fall and all that? No, no. I think that was a big thing for me um, is I didn't enjoy the weather there quite so much. I think, yes, I'm probably spoiled. Um, but there was an indoor facility, I'll call it. There wasn't an indoor track though. Mm. So the majority of the training was outdoors and the fall honestly wasn't the issue. It was coming back in like January, February, it would snow several times and we'd be kind yeah. of stuck inside. And I don't know, it just, my body didn't agree with it. My, my joints hurt all the time, felt like an old woman. Right. Um, and I just immediately I knew I would like come home for spring break and spend the week 
as I like to call it, defrosting. Um, <laughs> and I would just feel so much better. And I was like, I just, I think there was a reason, you know, that it, that was happening. I was like, I just, I want to be back. I want to be home, yeah. ha feel happier and healthier, you know, more sunshine. So um, yeah, crazy. Yeah. It just made sense for me to, to head on home. Uh, it's funny that you bring that up because I um, the whole part about getting back home and getting to the sun um, <laughs> it was like uh, I was my first year last year teaching at the NAIA level and um, we were at uh, Azusa Pacific had a you know the big meet same same weekend as Mount Sac this year I don't know if it's always that way but I've never been paying attention before so um, we're at this meet and there were so many schools there I could not get over it I mean I'm seeing uniforms and names of like basketball schools from back East, like Marquette was there. I'm like, Marquette, I'm like, you, what are you guys doing out here? And they're like, we're, we're trying to find the sun. And like and these people were laying out at the moon, right? They're, they're pulling up their shirts. They're getting all this white flesh, you know, this oh, yeah. fish belly white skin. <laughs> and they're just like, they're lathering up, you know, slathering. I'm like, are you guys still competing? Or like, I'm just get out of my way. I'm trying to get some sun. You know? <laughs> it was a serious deal. You know, I'm like, uh, everybody that I talked to just like, oh, we're just, we're just glad to be outside, you know, because this was like in, I don't know when Mount Sac was mid April or whatever, but man, it yeah. was like these people just hadn't seen the sun for months, you know, and I, I tell my story to my kids um, about that too, because uh, my, my sophomore year at UCLA, we went up to Washington State for Pac 10s. And, you know, this is late April, early May by then, right? Yeah. Back then. So you're thinking Southern California, we'd be like, hey, it's almost summer. It was cold up there, man. It was like, it was 50 degrees, slate gray skies, drizzly, you know, and we get there and we're just all the Southern California kids like oh, 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 walking along. And so we're checking out the campus, right? And a hole opens up in the clouds. And the sun comes down like one of those pictures where you just see like the rays of the sun coming, you know, through a dark yeah. background, which I've always loved pictures like that. But you see the sun come out and I'm not kidding. People stopped and it was like, uh, and they started running into their houses and getting their lawn chairs and bringing them out. And because we're walking by the dorms. Right. And they're sticking their chairs out and laying out in the sun. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, these people never see the sun. I go, I totally understand. Uh you know, sun worship now, like, you know, from pagan days, it was like, oh my God, it's the sun after yeah. like six months of not seeing it or something, you know? Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's important. I was, I like to call myself solar powered. So right. it's pretty important if you feel like it really, like I just feed off of it. And so it was hard. It was hard going weeks at a time, not seeing it. And it, it yeah. definitely affects your mood and, you know, yeah. and just how you feel in general. I get it. I get it. I, I still have an article written when, when I was in high school um, after the master's meet guys said something. And I said, yeah, I, I really don't like even jumping at night, you know, because it was a night meet that year. And I'd much rather do, you know, out in the day. And I was the same way. I, and hotter the better. I mean, if it was 90 degrees, whatever, I wasn't one of those people that was going to wilt in the sun. I was like, hey, I'm now I'm loose. You know, <laughs> like 90 degrees was required you know, to get me moving. I think when I'm retired, I've got to be one of those people that moves to Florida or, you know, whatever this Jerry Seinfeld always says, it's like a rule. When you retire, you got to move to Florida or, yep. you know, Texas would be good too. The only time I went to Texas, my senior year at UCLA, we went to 
Fort Worth, uh, SMU put on a big meet and tell you, we got off the plane and when they weren't chauffeuring us around and, and, um, these minivans that this is back before SMU got the death penalty for football. So mm -hmm. they just had money just oozing. I'm sure you've been in that area. It's, it's just ridiculous. They had a, they had these carpeted, um, locker rooms with pictures over each locker, you know, and, um, we're like walking around like it was a museum when we were in there. They picked us up and, you know, they, we only sent 15 people. So they, they picked us up from the airport in minivans. They took us to these two bedroom condos for the, we're the visitors, right? <laughs> I'm just like, this is really nice. I'm sitting around going, wow, I wonder what, what they get like, you know, if we're getting this. And uh, we got out, when we got up the next morning to go out to the track, it was hot. It was like, I think it was late April. And I tell you what, if you haven't been in it, it's an experience to get out to Texas, uh, Fort Worth at that time. It was, it felt like 95 and like 100% humidity. Like my usual mm -hmm. routine was to jog two laps and start doing my running drills and all that stuff. I ran a half a lap. I literally <laughs> jogged a half a lap and I go, not only did I not do any drills or anything else, I literally just walked the rest of the way, sat down next to my bag and I said, I am good to go. <laughs> I was like, I was completely warmed up. It was like, it was like jogging in a sauna, you know? So yeah. it was <laughs> good for your body as well. So yeah, I remember I was like, man, if I could warm up like this all the time, I cut my warm up in half or by 75%. I, I remember doing a couple run throughs and just like, let's go, you know, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, for real. Hmm. So now tell us how you got started because you went, we're, we're tracking your career. I want to talk about the, the Olympic trial year. How did, how did it go? Once you left Duke, you came back to UCLA, you're still doing the HEP and then get us to the Olympic trials. All right. This is, it was a journey. So, I mean, something that I haven't talked about yet, but when I talk about my track career, I have to talk about it is all the injuries that mm -hmm. I had. So, um, I think in my time, from I'll even start my freshman year of high school up until last year right okay so pretty much my entire truly competitive track career I think I had three years where I was healthy yeah um, in those I don't know however, however many um so when I got to UCLA it was 20 15. So it was 20. My first full track season at UCLA was 2016, which was the Olympic year. Um, I was coming off of a couple injuries that I was dealing with at Duke, but nothing too serious. Um, kind of was just get rolling again and, you know, finding my confidence and all of that good stuff. Um, and then my very first outdoor meet, I tore my meniscus in my knee. Oh. So that was one of my easier ones, I guess I'll say. I had previously tore, I tore my ACL in high school, actually. Wow. So I had already been through that surgery and, and kind of gone and, and went through it. And then um, this was the same knee. I tore my meniscus or first after me and kind of just made the decision that I wanted to push through that year. And because it some the way a meniscus works is it like I had torn it but it would sometimes be okay and then sometimes like a little flap would get stuck the whole thing would swell up lock up, the whole, yeah. Lock up. yeah heard all those stories, yeah. yeah 
So it was like a very much a rolling of the dice on what was going to happen to my knee that day. And so I decided to play that game all season and just some days it held up on me, some days it didn't. And that's how it went. And I knew what to expect. The season as a whole went, went fine. It was okay. Um, but not what I hoped it would be if I had had a healthy knee. Right. Um, following year, uh, things were going, things were going well, you know, indoors went well. I think I was, you know, second in our conference meet and things were coming along. And, and then, um, one of the first practices outdoors, I did a pop-up into the long jump pit, stepped into what must've been a hole and, uh, heard a loud pop in my ankle and tore all the lateral ligaments in my ankle. No, no. Okay. Um, so that was a, that one pretty much blew the rest of that season. Um, it was not a fun year. I'm, I did the same thing at this point. I had already redshirted a season while I was at Duke. Right. So I didn't have a true, unless I wanted to eventually do a red shirt and medical red shirt and do a six year and all of that nonsense, which right. is everybody's doing that now, but you know, back, back yeah. a few years ago, you know, I didn't really want to do a six year. Um, and so I was like, Hey, I'm just going to keep pushing through. I'm enjoying everything. I'm enjoying my teammates and every, you know, it's, it's a bummer, but I can only control what I can control. And these injuries are, this is just my lot right now. Yeah. And so I kind of kept pushing through. That was a really tough season competing on that ankle. That was, that was very painful. Um, so I came back, I had one more year. So this was now, so that was 2017. So this was now 2018, my fifth year, um, my senior year at UCLA. Um, and pretty much for all intents and purposes, my career, my college career up to this point, nothing had happened. Like I had been to, a, I had been to NCAA regionals and in, in high jump and, I and jab and I had done okay at conference meets and whatever, but like I was so much better than that and everyone knew it. And it was just, I had been, it was a series of unfortunate events really. And so I had one year where I was like, honestly, guys, we're going to, we're going to lay it all out there. We're going to see what happens. Right. Um, so this is 2018. Um, and from the get-go, I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to do all the thing, all the little things right and, and leave it all out there pretty much. And it was the one season that I think I'll, I mean, I'll hang my hat on for my college career because that was a in season indoors. I broke the school record in the pentathlon. I won the conference championships outdoors. I was, there's no breaking the UCLA school record in the heptathlon because it's held by Jackie Joyner Kersey. Um, but I'm now second behind her. Uh, so that was, what I was hoping for, right. um, did well at conference, ended up fourth in the country, all American, um, went on, competed at USA's that year, uh, did well there. Like, so I'm, that was the year where I kind of broke through, I'll call it. And I think a lot of people were, I don't know that, I mean, from high school, that was kind of where I should have been tracking the whole time. And it's just like this dead space in right. the middle because I was just hurt. I was yeah. hurt the entire time. And so I kind of grew up there. And then at that point, I, I, when I graduated from UCLA, I was like, well, I'm finally healthy in this moment. I can't stop. I can't stop yet. Right. Um, so I went, First year out of college, I was training at UCLA 
I stayed on, um, was as a volunteer assistant coach. I, um, continued trainings 20. So this is 2019 20, and I'm going to say 2019 was the healthiest year of my career. I don't think I had any major injuries. Um, and it's so, and I don't think it's a coincidence that that's also when I, when my PR is from. So I, it was that, that first, um, outdoor meet at, at Brian Clay, actually the meet you were talking about at the Zoo yeah. Pacific, um, where I broke 6,000 points in the heptathlon for the first time, uh, big PR <clears throat> things were going really well. Um, so that meet actually right there was the one that qualified me for Olympic trials. So this is 2019. The way that the multi-events work is that every other event you have to qualify for, tr for trials within that season. But because we do the heptathlon so sparingly compared to other events, they give you a year and a half to qualify. Uh, yeah. So I qualified for the 2020 Olympic trials in the 2019 season. Um, and so at that point I was like, Hey, cool. Like we're good. We're good for the next year or whatever. Yeah. I yeah. I, so I went to USA's, um, that year, I think I finished, I don't remember what place I finished. I was in the top 10 though. Um, and what that, that qualified me to, uh, compete on a Thorpe cup team. So the Thorpe cup, if I don't know if you know what that is, mm. it's a yearly competition in the multi-events, um, between USA and Germany. Awesome. So basically they take the, the top three are the, they go to the big meets if there's a world champs or an Olympic games or something like that. And then they take the next five or seven, um, and send them into basically it's a dual meet between USA and Germany in the heptathlon and the decathlon. Right. And, and then they alternate between us and Germany hosting. So that year happened to be in Germany, which was awesome because I got to go, right. Uh, traveled to Germany and it was, it, that was the most fun meet of my entire life. It was so much fun. Um, and I'm still very, 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 very thankful for that meet. Um, and actually to this day, unfortunately, that was the last heptathlon that I completed. Really? Yes. Because fast forward 2020, we all know what happened, right? So <laughs> I'm, you know, starting training. I'm at UCLA. Things are going well in the fall. COVID hits. Everything shuts down. Uh, um, again, at this point, I am still qualified for Olympic trials. Right. So I'm like, okay, what do I Maybe, do? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and then eventually things are announced, you know, they're going to move everything a year and, and go and go from there. And I'm probably, the, I think at this point, the, the hip, the heptathletes and decathletes are the only people that still know that they're qualified. Everyone else is like, okay, well, I got to keep training to qualify. Right. And I knew I was already there. So I was like, well, I need to find a situation, uh, where this is where I can keep training, you know, even if there's no more meets right. in 2020, it doesn't mean I am just going to sit on my butt for a year and, and wait for, wait around for things. I have to at least put my body through some stuff and, give it a sense of that I went through a, a mini competition season or something like that. Um, so I trained at UCLA as long as I could, but unfortunately everything was shut down. And then 
I, if, even little old me was kicked out. Um, and so I ended up contacting, you know, one of our, one of the assistant athletic directors at UCLA. I said, is there a chance at all that I'm going to be able to train at UCLA in the fall or spring? And basically he's like, Kendall, I want to be honest with you. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And, and eventually I was like, okay, again, I'm already qualified. So I can't really stop my career right now. Right. So what I ended up doing is I, this is, this is where the move to Texas comes in. Right. Um, and I ended up moving to Houston because my boyfriend probably should have backed up and introduced him later or earlier too. My boyfriend was also a high level decathlete who was yeah. training, who was training and qualified for Olympic trials. Awesome. So I met, I met him at the Thorpe cup in Germany. So, so we met each other there, um, started dating and then COVID hit things open up. He, he went to rice and was training at rice university in Houston and basically invited me to come down and was like, Hey, I'm training. We got an open track. They're willing to come and let you, you know, let you use everything. I said, well, if I'm serious about this and, you know, finishing my career on a strong note, I, I have to give it, you know, I have to do this. And so I did, I made the move to Houston. Um, and, and started training um, with Scott and we, you know, it was, it was a very big life adjustment, but things were going very, very well. Um, opened my 2021 season with, you know, a lot of good things, good things in long jump, PRs in the shot, um, all of this good stuff. Then went back to Azusa Pacific for the Brian Clay meet. Um, that was going to be my opener that year. And unfortunately at that meet, throwing the javelin, feel a massive pop, I'll say in my knee. And I tear my ACL oh. on my left leg, um, my plant leg. So this is April, 2021. So at that point I'm sitting there, literally I'm lying on the runway at Azusa Pacific. <laughs> And I go, and my, my parents come with me to this meet. Scott's yeah. over there. He's doing the middle of a decathlon. And they just hear me, you know, scream across the field. And everyone comes running. And, and I'm laying there. And I go, I'm done. And yeah. they're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? I was like, no, you don't realize that. I just tore my ACL. I knew it because I had done it before, right. unfortunately. The same knee or the other knee? Other knee. Okay. So I have now, I have two, I have two lovely scars on both of my knees. It's right. It's a big, uh, big, obvious part of my, my knees. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I knew, I knew the moment it happened, what I had done and what that meant for myself. Um, and I knew at that moment that that was going to be the end of my track career. Wow. So, so <clears throat> unfortunately, you know, came back. I got surgery in Houston. Um, so I ended up going to the Olympic trials, but I didn't compete because yeah. I was a massive knee brace, but I went with Scott um, and kind of helped. I had been training with him all year. I had been helping and coach him in the decathlon. And, and so I went to the Olympic trials with him and, and kind of went through the whole thing with him. Um, 
And I think that was really helpful for me because I think if I had torn my ACL, ended my career and then just stopped, like I think I would have had these really hard withdrawals from the sport. Whereas kind of continuing to train through and go to trials with him was like an easy letdown. Right. As opposed to, oh, you're done. Bye. See you never. Yeah, you get to live it a little bit vicariously. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. And it was, I mean, it was a, it was a fun time. Um, But it kind of segued into the next part of my life because while I was at Olympic trials, I'm there hobbling around in my, in my massive knee brace. I see coach Frazier who was at the time there. um, He was there as a coach from UCLA with one of his throwers, Alyssa. Right. And Coach Frazier was my throws coach at UCLA while I was there. So was a teammate of mine. He and I yep. were on the same team. Yeah. Yep. Um, so so he I made sure that while I was at UCLA, I was through with Frazier because he was the man and and yeah. um <laughs> and uh you know we we had such a good relationship and I you know I loved working with him. So I saw him while I was there. Um, you know, of course is the whole, Oh no, what's going on? Everything's. And, and I basically told him at that moment, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm done with track. Um, I can't do this to my body anymore. Three knee surgeries is enough. So, so I think, I think that in that moment kind of, you know, I was in his mind. Um, and it was about a month later where he, I got a phone call from him and he said, Hey, I am the new head coach at Texas State University. Would you like to be my jumps coach? Awesome. And I go, well, not really doing much else right now. So, uh, so why not? And um, made the move out here to, to San Marcos from, from Houston. And I have, and I literally just finished my first track season as the jump coach at Texas State. Awesome. Now is that yep. uh, D1, D2, what level are we at? So we're D1 um we're in the we're in the Sunbelt Conference okay. and um I had really in all honesty not heard much about Texas State before I you know grew, again grew up on the west coast in the Pac-12 all of that stuff like I've never really seen Texas State around and and but when I came down here on my interview I was like whoa this place is legit yeah. I mean we have we have great facilities. We have our own track. We have our own weight room. We have, it's a really kind of cool setup. Um, and San Marcos is absolutely beautiful. In my opinion, it's, it is. Yeah. So San Marcos is pretty much halfway between Austin and San Antonio. Uh, It's kind of nestled in there and it's, it's a spot where it's like San Marcos itself is not a massive city. It's a college town. I'll call it, but but it's within, you know, 30 to 40 minutes of Austin and San Antonio. Right. And it's like, it's just such a, re- it's a really cool spot. Um, and so I was just really impressed with everything I saw. And, and of course, Coach Frazier, like that man, I, this is what I tell people. I said, there's about three people who could have called me, you know, asking me to, to take a job and, you know, 
I would have picked up and moved my life for. And it happened that one of those three people was Frage and that he called me. And so I said, okay, fine, I have to do it. Right. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's the relationship we have. And, and, um, and so I, I was like, I can't turn down an opportunity to work, you know, for him and, and with him right. you know, to kind of build this program up. It's awesome. So yeah. you're doing all the jumps and the multis. You just are you just mm -hmm. jumps, or have you kind of? I am doing. I'm doing all the jumps and the multis. So high jump, long jump, triple jump, um, heptathlon, decathlon, and then I also do the training for the pole vaulters. But we have a, a pole vault coach as well who does all of their technical work. Right. So I have a I have a pretty large group of jumpers. I think. Last year I had 15 or 16. Um, we've gone heavy on the recruiting this year. So next year we'll probably, I'll probably have a group of, you know, 22 to 24. Nice. Um, but we're really building things up and uh, we're really excited for the next couple of years. That's amazing. So mm -hmm. all the way through to the US trials, both knees blown. Then you end up coaching with Coach Phillips at Texas, Texas State. What is the what's the team mascot? What's the name of the team? Texas State. We are the Bobcats. Bobcats. There's a yep. guy I listen to on the radio out here. He does the the Angel games. Um, Roger Lodge, and he always has everybody call in and they they'll tell them where they went to high school. And his mm -hmm. thing is he's got to try to guess the name of the you know the school. So you guys are wow. like uh, Wildcats or something. You know he's. I think Wildcats is his fallback if he doesn't know for sure. I mean, he knows a surprising one, so. <laughs> He knows a surprising number of schools out here when whenever I'm listening. But um well uh what was my next question? I was I was thinking of oh so based on what happened with you and everything else, um I had two questions that popped in my head. First of all, what advice would you give to the young uh, burgeoning either heptathlete or decathlete that was either thinking about doing it or was already doing it, what kind of advice would you give them to help them get to their highest level? Um, well, if there's anybody that's thinking about doing it, my advice is do it. Um, right. if, there, <laughs> if there's, um, you know, a young, the, the event can be very daunting as a young, you know, a young person learning a lot of different things, especially girls. I'll say a lot of the times girls usually struggle in the throws because it's not necessarily a natural thing that right. girls grew up, you know, tossing things around. Um, the whole thing is just get yourself exposed to everything, you know, spend time with every event, right. even if it's not fun or comfortable at any moment, even if it's really weird to throw a javelin, just go and spend time with it. Right. You know, the more exposure and experience you get with, with, um, every event, the, you know, that builds up, it builds up later and later and later. I mean, a, a very common thing that happens is we'll take, you know, just good athletes out of high school and kind of convert them right. into athletes and decathletes in college. But if, it's very attractive to college coaches to see someone, even if it's not a great score, to see someone have give a, a hep and a deck a, a go in, in high school and just have the experience of going through it at right. least once or twice or 
you know, know what it feels like to go through everything. Right. Um, and the thing is, it's not, it, it is a very mature event. It takes a long time. There is no mastering seven or 10 events. Right. You, you, nobody ever masters all of them. That's not something that's really possible. I mean, most people never master one event. So, <laughs> uh, so it's really all about exposing yourself to all of them, giving your, giving yourself the opportunity to spend as much time with every event and, and also then just making yourself a good athlete. I think that's what I love about the training for the, for the combined events is, is, um, even though it doesn't feel like it, you know, throwing the shot is making you a better, you know, high jumper or long jumper. Like it doesn't seem like it's correlated, but it is, it's cross training. Um, and, and so you may think that, yeah, throwing isn't doing anything for your jumps, but it, but it absolutely is. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> when I was there, fortunately, some of the, the heyday times, I was, uh, I watched John Brenner, you know, throw with Art back in 84, mm -hmm. with sophomore year. And I watched John Phillips and, you know, um, uh, Frazier um, and, you know, just a lot of really good athletes, pole vaulters with Coach Curran, you know, I'm, you'd get to work with Coach Curran, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, some of the best uh, technicians uh, for their events that I've ever, you know, been in, in contact with. And, uh, I was there and I was one of those people that was always listening. I was always listening and trying, asking questions. And I pulled out a little bit in high school. So I was always, you know, and I was like an 11, six vaulter. So once these guys started vaulting 15 and 16 in practice, I was like, wow, you know, and I still wanted to try it, but I never really, you know, made that, that leap, but it was like, you know, watching the shot putters and the discus throwers, we used to go to Bruin Bowl. I don't know if you ever got to see the the lifters go to Bruin Bowl. I don't know if Coach Frazier still did that, but I went there one time with Frazier and Banich and a couple other guys, um, Dave Wilson, the Iceman, that we went down there and these guys would try to destroy the bowling lane. Like the goal was to rocket the ball as fast as possible down the middle of the lane and explode all the pins into the back wall that was the way they played. And it was like, you, and they were good. It wasn't like, it wasn't that they were rattling it down, you know, side to side. Yeah. Like it was like hop and pop, you know, it was like one, two and wham. And that arm would come up and that ball would just start moving. Like you never saw a bowling ball go that fast in your life. So I learned a lot about uh, acceleration and, you know, power, obviously, you know, watching those guys and, and asking questions, you know, Art Venegas was, was always willing to talk you know, about that stuff. So, you know, um, I remember commenting to someone just this last year watching the Olympics, uh, the guy from Canada that won the gold medal for the decathlon, who just seemed so fast. Like, mm -hmm. I think he ran, he broke the, the 100 meter record, right, for the decathlon, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. 10, whatever he ran, 10-4, 10-3, or I don't know, it was really fast. And I, I started thinking about how speed has become the dominant thing in almost every event, not just sprinting. But, you know, the best high jumpers in the world are fast. They're tall and fast. You know, the best long jumpers, obviously, you're fast. Triple, you're fast. Pole vaulters, you know, Duplantis is fast down the runway. Mm -hmm. um, watching Brian Krauser throw a shot, if you don't see him moving fast at 6'6 through the ring, <laughs> you're not watching closely enough because, you know, I'm watching him get through two times the ring and 
it's a blur sometimes like man he's moving quick you know mm-hmm. so it's it seems to me that it's not like these things haven't been known but i think i think the transition is about here where it was like okay there's power and then there's you know because i always tell my jumpers i go you can be the hulk you can just power up you know and and get as strong as you can and be like the hulk you know the matter hulk gets the stronger hulk gets and the hulk doesn't fly he just jumps but I'm like, really, the technique is you look at some of these guys and you're like, these guys are tall, skinny guys. They're not, they're not powerful. I'm like, yes, but power is force times velocity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got both ends, you know, the velocity end is, is really important. So I see, it just seems to me like everything's moving so much faster than I remember, you know, even 20 years ago, I feel, yeah. I feel dated, you know, um, my other question <laughs> for you, Kendall was, in this day of equality and everything else, do you ever foresee a day when the women are going to be decathletes instead of just heptathletes? <laughs> um, I know there's already, from some people, there's a push for it. Um, but the honest, the honest answer is I don't think the majority of girls want to. Yeah. And it's not necessarily about equality. It's like the decathlons is really hard. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think, I think, more so, I think you go ask the guys if they would rather do a hep right. rather than rather than the girls going up to the deck. I think that would be um, probably more popular than the girls going up to the deck. Do I think that obviously the girls can do a decathlon? You know, there's no there's no reason why they can't. And of course, it's ridiculous that you know, you know, it should be different. But I think we've gotten to a point where the girls sit there and watch the guys finishing the decathlon and they go, I have no interest in doing that. All right. Like just, just plain and simple. It has nothing to do with equality. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's just like, I would much rather be competing in a heptathlon than in, in a decathlon. Right. Um, I think me personally, I think I probably would have been a better decathlete than I was a heptathlete. Um, the heptathlon is like you were talking about such a speed-based event. Yeah. And speed was actually not my strong suit. I was a, I was a more, you know, more powerful. I was a, I was a great jumper. I was a great thrower, but speed was the thing I was constantly working on. And in the decathlon, you add another throw and another jump. Yeah. And that, that definitely would have favored me. Um, yeah. Even so, do I want to do a decathlon? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Another throw, another jump and the ball, right? Yeah. So it's, I mean, it was at the vault and the, um, and the discus. Right. And I mean, I think I probably would have been good in both of those. I had, I had the upper body strength. I mean, it would have just, you know, right. technical work and timing. So. All right. So we're, we're getting ready to wrap this up. What do you, what do you think? What are the, your, your goals now that you're, you're coaching at the division one level? Uh, what would you like to see happen with your, your program, you know, with your, your athletes, and then also with yourself, do you see, you know, this turning into a a long career? Um, I will start with about, about my athletes. Um, I honestly, this year I had no idea what to expect. I didn't recruit any of the athletes that I had this year because it was my first season. I was kind of stepping into a situation that was unknown and, and felt, I felt very, very lucky with the athletes that I had just, you know, acquired. 
Um, you know, I had several conference champions. Um, I had five athletes go to NCAA regionals. I'll say the next step is I didn't have anybody go to nationals. So yeah. I think in the future, we'd, we'd love to see a couple athletes get to the, the national yeah, regionals to the nationals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. That's, you know, that would be the next step for, for a lot of the athletes. I mean, I think also we definitely want to see, see some conference championship teams. Um, Texas state has been pretty competitive in the Sunbelt conference. I mean, we were second on the men's and the women's side indoors. So we're right there. And I think it would be really cool to kind of just become that dominant team in the Sunbelt conference. Um, but yeah, we want to, we want to have a presence at the national meet. So that's, that's the goal. And, and that's kind of what I'm seeing when I, when I recruit, I, you know, I'm not going to get the, you know, number one or two jumpers in the country to commit to Texas state. And that's just the reality of it. You know, at UCLA, it's a little different. You can kind of have the pick and everyone wants to be there. And I, I have to be the one to convince people a lot of the time that Texas state can offer them everything that, you know, a lot of the power five schools can. Um, And so what I have to do is I have to have the confidence in myself as a coach to be able to develop people. So I'm, my thing is I'm, it's about me having an eye for people that I can see growing a lot. So maybe I'll get the people that were fifth and sixth at, you know, at state or something like that, which is still awesome, but, but they're not the ones necessarily going to, you know, the very top tier schools. Right. And, and then it's just about finding, you know, people that are, that are right for our program and, and kind of going from there and, when you get people that they're happy with the fit, you know, um, magical things can happen. And so that's kind of what we're looking for. Um, I'll say this for me personally, I wasn't really looking to be a coach. I'll say when I ended my career as an athlete, I mean, I had been coaching the whole time and it was something that I both as, you know, as a volunteer at UCLA and then at Rice, and then I would doing private coaching as well. And it's something that I gravitated towards. And I was naturally, you know, I was probably coaching my teammates while I was still an athlete at UCLA, honestly. It was, that's just my personality. Um, and so it, it's like, it's like I was trying to crawl away and track just keeps grabbing me by the ankles and pulling me back. Right. Uh, but so the, the answer is like, I don't necessarily have aspirations to, to move up and, you know, on this coaching ladder per se, or, or to become a head coach or anything like that. I just want to be in a place and with people that I am enjoying and I'm happy and I'm getting a lot out of, but I mean, and, and that's where I am right now. I'm, I'm really fulfilled with what I'm doing. It's a, it's a hard and a stressful life. And every college coach knows that it's probably the most exhausting job for six months. Right. Um, but it's also, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm either (laughs) cursing things out or sitting there being like, I can't believe this is my job. I'm so lucky. So it's one of those every day. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. But so, I mean, the personally is, I don't know, I'm just going to take it day by day, year by year and kind of see where, where my life takes me. I'm very much a, I'll call it a fatalist. I'm 
believe everything is happening as it should and I'm, I'm, who am I to fight it? Right. Um, I trust in myself and my abilities, both as a coach and then as just a human being and trust that I'm going to be successful with whatever I end up doing, whether that is coaching or something else. So I'm and not stressed. The last, last thing, did you and the, the boyfriend, are you guys still together? Are you guys married? What's going on with you guys? We are, we are very much together. Um, we, we live together uh, here in, uh, in Texas and he's, uh, he actually has a job at uh, University of Texas, not in athletics, but he just works there now and I'm down at Texas State and we are very happy and things are going really well. Awesome. Well, Kendall, it has been a distinct pleasure. Uh, I'm so glad that you took the time to spend with us here on Raise the Bar. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to uh, get feedback. Um, I wanna keep this relationship going. I'm, I wanna get more Bruins. <laughs> I've got uh, Rodney Van Jr. who was playing football on the team back in uh, earlier when Carl Durrell was coaching. Um, mm -hmm. I had him last year as, uh, and I don't even know if that one's podcast has even come out yet. We're still churning these out, but, um, you know, he was a, a former football player that did track and, and in high school. And, um, I, I just go, man, Rodney, you and I got to do another one. And then we got to just like start getting more Bruins in, you know, and having so his, his little Bruins. sister was my teammate at UCLA. Really? Yeah. Monique. She was, um, she was also a heptathlete and was my teammate, my first two years there yeah. um so yeah there's definitely the connection there but i can uh i i got a lot of i got a lot of good ones that i can hook you up with too there's lot, lots yeah. of ruins around so to get i gotta get coach curran on here because everybody's got to listen to Curran talk for a while and then um you know from coach frazier that you know uh, the last time i saw coach john was four or five years ago when i came for a visit to campus and he took me up to the top 10 lists so I could take a picture of my face by one. And then um, <laughs> I haven't seen art for a while. You know, some of the, I remember the coaches. So there's still a bunch of coaches I'd like to get. I, uh, Mike Powell, I just uh, mm -hmm. walked into someone, you know, I had seen Mike 10 years ago. And then, um, you know, I'd love to get him. He's another guy that was on the team with me at UCLA. We're both seniors the same year. <clears throat> John Smith, great sprint coach. Steve Lang, another great jump coach. Um, you know, that I know are, I think are local, you know, would be good. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, it's a connection. I'd, I'd love to keep that uh, going and, and growing. Um, yeah. You mentioned Rodney Van, his, his dad, uh, he was Rodney Van Jr. His dad, senior, went to high school with me at Milliken in Long Beach. Yeah. So yeah, we bumped into each other on a golf course and said, you he had all UCLA stuff on his bag. And I'm like, were you a fan or did you play? And he's like, I played football there. I'm like, okay. And I said, what's your name? He's Rodney Van. I'm like, Rodney Van? I went to school with a Rodney Van senior. He goes, yeah, that was my dad. He goes, he's the only one in my family that went to Milliken. The rest of us all went to Poly. Ah. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Well, um, Kendall, again, thank you so much. And uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. Want to keep, uh, keep up on, I know the recruiting stuff and, and what you can show on your feed is probably kind of limited because of the D1 stuff. So um, I'm, I'm all about trying to grow you know, the track and field as much as possible, especially jumps. Um, and I think we do a really crappy job of that. I just, I did a podcast just last week with my mentor, uh, Alan Hankel, who used to coach Doug Nordquist and um, Lauren uh, Magnuson, who was a, a jumper at 
um, Chico State and mm -hmm. uh, qualified for trials one year. And we, we spent like an hour and a half troubleshooting how we would fix track and field in the United States to make it bigger, you know, and make it more popular and everything else. I'm like, one of the greatest, you know, uh, athletic achievements are going on all the time and nobody knows about it <laughs> you know, over here because yeah. yeah. we're, you know, we're losing the battle to uh, all the major sports. And uh, we were even bemoaning the fact that it seems like the numbers are dropping, you know, overseas, which is surprising to me to hear, you know, because for years it's always been, oh, it's, it's huge over in Europe, you know, and then we're hearing now that those numbers are starting to get smaller too. So I'm like, and we got to do something to, uh, to save this sport that we love. Yeah. Hey, whatever, whatever little part we can play, we can, let's do it. And, you know, maybe, right. maybe this podcast is a small part of it. So. Hey, yeah, well, it's a, it's a small podcast so far, but hopefully it's going to get, get bigger. We get, get great names on like yourself and uh, thank you for lending your, your time, your expertise and uh, your, your opinions and your uh, everything else with us, Kendall, and uh, the best of luck to you in the future. Um, say hello to your, your better half. For me and that's uh, a possible another another podcast who knows i'm always trying to jumpers yeah and, he's got an uh, interesting story as well that's for sure <laughs> i bet i bet yeah my experience with the multis though this far after working one year with uh some of them when i was at vanguard is like you said man I, my first day there i walked in and and i'm i've got a, just a few jumpers and the multis come over and the lead multi-gal, Juliana, she comes over and she's like, okay, here's the schedule. And she just starts telling me exactly what's going to go on. You know, she's like, we're going to do this and then we're going to jump with you and then we're going to go do this. And I'm like, well, okay, then let's get to work. <laughs> this is like, she had it all, you know, everything was mapped out. And I was just like, I was so impressed. I was just like, oh, this is awesome. You know, you know lots of, you know, high jumpers have that reputation of being just like, you know, whatever, you know, whatever we're going to do today is, yeah. is fine. And I, I'm here to say that that's probably true, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that was an amazing, um, amazing thing watching this year. All right, Kendall, God bless you guys. Stay uh, healthy and happy out there in Texas. And uh, let's, let's find a meet. We both end up in the same place. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me on and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again very soon. All right. All right. Thanks, Troy. All righty. Bye-bye. And that wraps us up with Kendall Gustafson, the jumps coach and working with the multis at Texas State University, a division one school in Texas in the, I think she said the Sunbelt League. I'm going to have to look up and see who the other teams in that league are. Um, they came in second, both men and women in the indoor season is what I heard there. And um, she's a Bruin. She grew up out here, loves it out here, and is now in Texas with another Bruin as her head coach, John Frazier. A friend of mine, a former teammate of mine um, from our senior year at UCLA, which was 1986, which was way, way back there. Don't want to tell anybody how old I am now. But um, again, thank you for spending time here with us on Raise the Bar. Um, my next guest, I am not sure who is coming on next. Uh, there's a, a couple people that we have in mind. Um, so as soon as I know that, I will let you know. But until then, this is Troy Haynes with Raise the Bar signing off. We will be with you soon.